Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. Welcome back to Colorful Clipboard. And Carrie and I are so excited to have you all join us today. Hopefully you've noticed we have switched our drop date from Thursday to Tuesday. And we look forward to having more of you be able to join us that first week when we have new episodes. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, I'm I'm gonna say advocacy, but it's more than that. Carrie, how would you kind of describe today's topic? Being involved in the community in a way that lets people know how important our work is. I mean, that's not as, that's not succinct, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I think it's important to continue to remind people how important childcare is and that we're not babysitters. I just ordered a hundred stickers of a picture of a woman sitting on a baby with a big, you know, no sign over it saying not a babysitter. (laughs) Um, Because a lot of people did sort of wake up during the lockdowns as to how important childcare was to a functioning economy, but memories are short. (laughs) Um, so that's one side of it. And then the other side is advocating to other people in our industry and basically telling them to get their shit together. I don't know of another way to put that. I think that's great. And one of the things that I want to just kind of touch on real quick, when we start talking about advocacy, what often happens is national causes don't get the majority of our industry to move. And a lot of times it takes something local um, for somebody. And really, I'm going to say any industry. So it could be, you know, health care. It could be police reform. Uh, it could just be child care uh, regulation. Uh, you know, we hear about all kinds of things and it's really hard for most people to be able to go, why do I need to take time out of my schedule to support that cause? I have a cause that nobody is supporting. Um, I think how- I think that there was some effort for this last um, stimulus package. There was some effort from national early childhood organizations to get centers to write letters in support of there being specific funds for childcare, not being funneled to school districts. Because in some states, a lot of that money in the previous COVID relief packages basically went to school districts for their early childhood programs at the school district. Um, And so if your family didn't qualify for school district pre-K, you got no assistance in... Uh, in that situation. So, you know, there's $83 billion coming to childcare out of this last um, thing. But you're right. It is hard to get people to get off their butt. <laughs> I'm, I'm using a lot of butt today. Uh, <laughs> to get off <laughs> well, their tush okay, and write so, those hold letters. On, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's talk a little bit about what you just said, because I think that one of the basics that you and I used to harp on all the time, and I'm not really sure um, in the last five years, we've talked about it and stressed it enough in, in conferences and presentations and blog posts like we used to, which is being involved in an association. You know, are you a member of a professional organization? Because if you aren't, you didn't know about these letter writing campaigns. That's whether true. Whether they were done on a a statewide level, a local 
local level, national level. I mean, you know, we're based out of the Austin, Texas area, and there was a lot of push early, early, early on in COVID to have early child care uh, loan forgiveness options. And that's because the work of professional and state level associations that happen to be based in Austin that really came to their aid early, early on. And But we already had those relationships. I mean, you can't show up in the time of a crisis with no relationship with people. You have to have the relationship with the media. You have to have the relationship with the legislators prior to when you need them. Um, there's a there's a network. It's kind of that that networking phrase, dig your hole before you're thirsty. Yeah, that's what the I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. And it's not that hard. Um, I think people ha- hear advocacy and they're like, okay, so I'm going to have to be like, you know, one of the first ladies and spend all of my time advocating for wildflowers on roadside like Lady Bird Johnson did. And that was her whole thing for like 40 years. We're not saying that. We're saying, you know, go to the occasional luncheon, (laughs) Um, write the occasional letter, offer to be a witness at a hearing. I mean, it's not that complicated. I think there's even more to that. There's open the emails. (laughs) There's read. There's read the emails. There's be educated. There's respond to surveys. Because the, the, the people who these associations pay... Uh, to go out to go and either train volunteers or to actually speak on our behalf, they need the data. They need to know what you need. And if you don't open the email, if you don't fill out that survey, nobody's going to know. And this is really for every industry. I mean, I don't know if you have really thought about the fact that, um, and I used to know the numbers and I don't, but the amount of money that people give to animals, the amount of people, money that people give to children in other countries versus the amount of money that we feel is appropriate to donate to the children in our own country. I mean, it uh, is ridiculous. It, it's, it's I think the pitiful, last pitiful. the last time I looked at it, it was something like 500% more money was de- was donated to animal charities in the United States than to children's charities in the United States that were for well, especially programs charities in the United States. Know, yeah, usually the only children's charity that gets much of a um, a connection are those with children and with medical issues. And so hospital based children's charities kind of things. Um, especially if you look at, you know, there are three that are, are, are some of the major, but still even their percentage compared to the amount of money that's donated to animals. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a cat, I have a dog. Both of them are, um, you know, foster fails, <laughs> you know, both of, both of them are adopted animals and um, we love them dearly, and they are definitely uh, lovely members of our family. But when you start thinking percentage-wise for where people are likely to donate, where pe- what gets people up and out of their seat, um, having been part of a community... Um, I didn't serve on the city council, but I served on several city commissions over years, and showing up to city council meetings and seeing the dedication of the people who wanted new animal shelters, who came every week to every meeting, spoke their five minutes at every meeting for six and seven years to make something happen on a community level of under 50,000 people was like, okay, so why are we not doing this for our after school programs? Why are we not doing this for our early childcare programs? 
you know, or the health and fitness of our, our community. I mean, we, you know, the obesity rate was just alarming. Yeah, I was part of doing a similar thing in Austin to get a resource center for early childhood programs. And we had one of the best resource programs for early childhood in the country until the executive director embezzled and they shut the whole thing down. And there's been no effort since then to do anything to support early childhood educators or parents of young children. Like there used to be a dedicated office at the city for early childhood education. It's gone. Connections is gone, you know, because we're like, well, we did the work. We got the thing. And then we messed it up. So I guess we, that's why we can't have nice things. (laughs) Um, But so that's on the side of trying to get the community, um, to support what is such a vital part of the economy. But the other part is we have to advocate for professionalism within our own industry. If licensing says you need to report when a child is injured and has medical care, then you need to do the appropriate and the legal thing and report when a child at your center is injured and has to seek medical care. It is unprofessional to not make that report because that is what licensing requires. So if you don't do it, you're technically breaking the law and holding other centers to that same standard. So it's kind of interesting. So you and I, the reason we wanted to talk about this topic was one specific video scenario that that popped up in the news over the last couple of days. But what's also interesting and what I got thinking about was also in the past. Hang on, let's let's frame it for people who may not have seen it. Okay. Um, So there is a national franchise. It's called Kids Are Kids and a franchisee in, I can't remember the name of the town, but in Georgia, Um, There was a, the center has live video stream that the parents can watch. And one of the parents just happened to be paying attention during a meal service. And all of the white children were served their food first. While the black children just sat there very quietly with their hands in their lap until all the white children had been served. And then the black children were served. Um, And people kind of freaked out. And I think it's valid because why do the white children get served first? Why not all of one table and then all of another table? It was, there were four, three or four tables and the white children at each of those tables were served before the black children at any of the tables. That's some active racism right there. Absolutely. So again, so you have that, but I'm also thinking something that happened relatively, or at least raised eyebrows relatively recently, is that Texas now has online databases with um, how your your staff turnover ratios. Yes, and so um, and so one of the other episodes we're going to do today is to kind of talk a little bit about, um, well, we're going to record it today. You won't hear it today is about onboarding your staff, but you know, it's interesting that that particular, that got a lot more discussion across the state of Texas than, um, what kids were being fed first in the state of Georgia. So it's just kind of interesting. A, when people get fired up, it's generally, um, local, uh, it's, generally related to them 
And in this case, you know, Texas was much more about what their perception of privacy was and how they felt like this data could be really misinterpreted uh, by people, um, especially over the last year because of COVID. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that every child care center across the country's uh, employee retention rate is probably a little low. Yeah. Um, this year has not been great. Has- <laughs> No. And, and if you're an organization that operates with seasonal employees, um, especially if you're a, a school district facility that maybe only has staff from September to or August to June, and is always that way. So every year you have a complete staff turnover. Um, if you're a school age program that maybe only runs in the summer. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of things to consider about how this data could be used. And this is why it is so important to you to respond to data, to open emails, to know what's going on, to become educated. So even if all you do from an advocacy standpoint is open, every, join an association uh, on, on a state and national level. Um, if they have a local chapter, even better, but open every email, respond to those emails, respond to those data requests. Um, it, it, it We're not asking you to go, um, protest. I mean, you can. You can go and, and, and have your voice known. You can write letters. You can do a, an email campaign, a phone campaign. You can get your parents and, and kids involved. But it's we want you to start with even something more basic. If you're not doing anything, go up one notch. If you're already doing the emails, take that up a notch. And now maybe make a phone call during your legislative session. And if you're in Texas, that's you have six months every two years. It's not that long. Make some phone calls. <laughs> yeah, you can make some phone calls. And again, we're not saying you have to do all of these things. You can't ride three horses at once. Pick what you, what lane works for you. Is it holding people to a professional standard? So you want to be part of the professional organization and be aiming towards supporting centers in professional ethics? Or do you want to be part of the legislative and efforts like what happened recently to get us those $83 billion? Or do you want to be on a city ordinance level? There's a city ordinance in the town that Kate used to sit on commissions on that completely rezoned um, where childcare can be. And now childcare in that city can only be on major streets. You can't have a childcare center in a neighborhood. You have, if you're going to open a childcare center, it has to be on a four lane road. And I think that's ridiculous that you can't. To me, that's also kind of scary because I've been to that community. And although they have four lane roads, they don't necessarily have turn lanes. So, you know, you got all kinds of a a nightmare there. And again, that was one of those things that was probably done um, with nobody really thinking it had any real implications. Well, yeah, because nobody who, you know, they do not have an active uh, professional association in that town for early childhood educators. And but I'm sure that somebody in zoning didn't, I mean, I don't think when zoning did it, they necessarily did it to put people out of business or to not allow programs to open. They probably just didn't realize how many programs weren't already on those kinds of roads. Right. Because that's where people see them. And those and you're not using childcare, you don't know. Right. And those programs were grandfathered in, but no new programs can go into those places those existing facilities yeah, yeah those existing facilities so they can't ever sell their business unless they're on a four-lane road i mean it's ridiculous that, that's gonna make the one that's right across from city hall very happy um <laughs> 
Sorry. I'm like, ooh, wait. <laughs> well, I don't know if, if she's currently in compliance, um, but uh, that's not my monkey. Um, but, you know, there's lots of ways to be an advocate for the community. You can be the person who, when something like this thing in Georgia happens, you get out in front of the media and you say, hi, that could never happen in um, programs here in Texas because we have these kinds of protections. So maybe that's the kind of advocacy because you just want to get in front of people and go, that's stupid. People don't really do that here. Maybe that's the kind of advocacy you want to do and be the one on TV ranting and railing about how, you know, there are simple measures to take to avoid leaving children in minivans, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. That was, Absolutely. that was one of and my favorite kinds of advocacy. I've done all of them, guys. <laughs> I've testified at the legislature. I've written letters. I've called. I've marched. I've been on news. I have just been the past, the person who just opens email. It's an evolution and it's based on what you have energy for and passion for at that time, but you always need to be doing something in our opinion. <laughs> well, it's more than in our opinion, because I can sit here. I mean, yes, I'm going to sit here today and I'm going to talk to you about all of the reasons why from a professionalism standpoint, this is what you want to do. But um, I'm going to kind of end it with one other angle that um, I would be kind of remiss in not mentioning and because Carrie kind of brought it up and that is um, pulling in stories that are nationally and really kind of using it as a launch pad for public relations for your program within a community. And yes, nobody, everybody thinks that's kind of wrong, right? Like you're like going, well, why would you take somebody's suffering and use it for your own benefit? And it's like, well, because the ones who are talking are the ones people are going to listen to. So yep. If you are now a program that's doing a lot of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you've got a parent committee or a staff committee, or you're doing staff training, whatever you're doing to catch the local buzzwords, even though you might have been doing it for 30 years and you are way above, you know, what the minimum should be hand happening, you know, this is where you talk about it. This is where you get to be, we are leaders in the field. We've been doing this for 30 years. We have been a diverse program with, you know, you know, 60% of our staff, English is not their first language. You know, 20% of our, you know, student population is from this country. You know, there are ways for you to take advantage from a public relations, which does turn into marketing, uh, which can turn into a variety of things, right? It can turn into community outreach and community benefits when you need them. Yep. It could also turn into people hearing about you and going, I want my kid in a program with somebody like that who is a true advocate for the community. And if you aren't talking and telling your story, nobody else is going to. <laughs> That's true. Nobody cares about your program as much as the owners and directors. That's just a fact of life. And part of advocacy is making sure that people understand what makes your program so very different. Absolutely. Well, hopefully this has given you guys some, 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 I'm going to call them Wednesday morning action plans um, and gives you something to think about over the next couple of days. And by next Monday, uh, challenge yourself to do something that maybe you haven't done yet, whether it's identify an association to join, 
uh, go open some of those emails you've gotten in the last month and, and, and maybe catch yourself up to speed. Uh, make sure that your state is actually really pulling down those federal funds, using them in the way they were meant to be, um, not trying to replace state allocated money with these federal funds now. So instead of using them as supplement, they're using them as primary dollars. Um, really get yourself educated. Learn, learn what's going on in your state. Um, yes, we are based out of Austin, Texas, but that doesn't mean that what we talk about only relates to those directors in Texas. So share. Yep. We've um, got go find us. We've got relationships with centers in other countries and other states. You know, you can do this anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, share our podcast with your peers. And if you join an association and you really feel like this has made an impact in your business, whether you've done it in the last six months, last six years, or you did it the first day you entered the industry, hey, shoot us an email. Let us know. Hello at colorfulclipboard.com or uh, just reach out to Kate at texasdirector.org or Carrie at texasdirector.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director, where we continue to have seminars, licensing programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.